Welcome to the TTP podcast. Each week, I'll be chatting about health issues with interesting characters I've met on my journey. I've been dealing with kidney failure for a while, and last November, was suddenly diagnosed with testicular cancer, which literally threw a spanner in my works. <clears throat> Since then, I've been on a midlife journey to do some stuff I've always wanted to have a go at, like trying stand-up comedy, writing, and podcasting. Well, everyone else is doing it, so how hard can it be? In this first episode, I speak to Andre Vincent about his experience of cancer and the impact it had on his life. We dive straight in, so this is a mild warning if you're sensitive to the C word. Andre has many credits to his name and has performed in theatre, circus, busking, on TV, in films and pantomime. He has a massive passion for comedy history and has a website dedicated to remembering past masters called mislaidcomedyheroes.com. I first met Andre in July at the Amused Moose comedy course. He was a brilliant teacher and a great inspiration to an absolute beginner like myself. We have a good convo waffle about health and life. Then, at around 40 minutes, the conversation turns towards what it's like being a stand-up today. So, sit back and enjoy. So, Andre, tell me about what you experienced with your uh, cancer. It was a long way to cancer, really. I think it was, you know, like I said, it was with diabetes, first of all. Wow. Um, well, that, that's what that's what I got for... Um, I was a bit of a wreck at the beginning of 2000. It all, it all happened very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it was uh, Edinburgh usual antics of Edinburgh of a comic, big drinking binge, uh, pancreas blew up, um, too much sugar in my blood, didn't realise for quite a while, was passing a lot of sugar, um, you know, every, had all the symptoms, the, you know, the gums had thrush, everything, and, mm-hmm. you know, and I was just completely ignoring it. And then um, I was with a, a comic in Southampton, a guy called Mark Hurst, and he had a, he had a machine with him that was, mm-hmm. you know, he'd just become diabetic. Mm-hmm. He had this sort of gun that he was, you know, threatening yeah. everybody in the dressing room with. And he went, God, let me do it to you, Vinny. Let me stick it on mm-hmm. your thumb. Let's, let's test your blood. And we tested my blood and it was like, you know, over 40. And he went, mm, that's not good. That's and I went, well, I've just had some candy floss. Maybe it was that. And so we, uh, we did it again and it was, you know, still there. Wow. And he went, I think you should go and see a doctor. Leading up to this. So you got a bit of maybe before that. So you're saying you're living this kind of life that was a preamble or preemptive to what was going on. So, so what were you up to? I know that you've done Edinburgh and various things. So, so what was, what was, do you think, driving you in that way? Well, you know, it's that traditional comics life of uh, you're always on the road, you're eating dreadful food. It's, it's late night food. Um, I, I got into, I went and saw a dietitian, one of the top dietitians in Harley street. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, I said, I've got this problem in as much as like everybody else, you want to work, you want to eat after you worked, you know, you mm-hmm. do your day's work and then you, you want dinner. Um, the problem is I don't finish work until 11, 12 o'clock, maybe even later at night. And, and then I want to have dinner. And so I'm going to bed with, with, you know, quite yeah. a heavy, I don't get that time to, to wear it off like everybody else. Is there anything I can do? Because I just don't want to eat, you know, everyone just says have porridge and cereal and fruit. And <laughs> I just don't want to do that. And they said, oh, we'll sort it out for you. Anyway, I went back to them and they just said, yeah, the best thing to do is have porridge, cereal or fruit. <laughs> and, and I was like, no, I, you know, so it's, it, it is a bad lifestyle being a comedian. And, and the drinking, if, if I say, you know, I used to compare a hell of a lot. Yeah. And so... 
I'd have a pint before going on. I'd have two or three pints during the show. I'd have a pint, you know, as soon as you finished, as if to say, well, that's it. That's that's me work done. Let's have a pint. And then, you know, you'd have meet up with some mates. You go, should we go for a drink now? And you, I'm already five pints up on the night mm-hmm. before I've even started going for a drink. And, you know, we, we had, that was the other thing. There were like little clubhouses for us mm. in every city. You know, there were like little comedians' places that we could go for late night drinks, and we we knew them all. And and it just became in the in the nineties, we were you know that was such the hip thing to do, become a stand up comic, and and then you know that nightlife. Um, I always wanted to do a, a TV show called Twenty Four Hour uh, Party Cities because I, I did. I started working out where you know where it was possible to get late night drinks where we, you know, I, I, did you know that we've got, a, for instance, an ice hockey league that usually starts about one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning? No. Because they, 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 all the ice rinks have public in and, and people. And there are all these people who want to play ice hockey and they don't do it till the early hours of the morning. And so there's that, there's a whole veg like that. And, and then I was, you know, stargazers, I was going to astrological <laughs> meetings. Just because it was, you know, it was still up at two, three o'clock in the morning, and you, you know, chance I could have a drink. I remember a mate getting a, um, that's it, a, a Riley's snooker horse. That was always one you'd always guarantee, you know, late night if there was a few of you who played pool and snooker to the early hours morning, and that gave you alcohol. Um, and I was about to say, uh, a, a mate, we were in, um, where were we, Nottingham. Um, it was like it was like three o'clock in the morning, and the riders were saying, oh, "We're going to shout now, lads." It was like, "Oh, for God's sake!" We still wanted a drink. We all go back to our hotel rooms, and then a comic rang everybody around and said, "Right, I've sorted it. Meet me downstairs <laughs> in the foyer in fifteen minutes." And we all went down there, and he ordered a limousine, and limousine with a fully stocked bar, and we just drove up and down, made Marion way wow. for about forty minutes, <laughs> and we just emptied the bar. And it was, you know, this was, it, it became part of your life. So it, it, it's not a healthy world. Hmm. So, you know, like I say, apart from bad diet and so many of us putting on weight and being unhealthy, <laughs> alcohol and, and you know, and I have to say other substances, there was always, especially in the 90s, there was always some form of class A or something to smoke going around. So it, it wasn't it wasn't the healthiest of worlds to be involved in. Did it not occur to you at any point? I mean, I'm asking a silly question, probably, but did you not at any point think this is too much? I'm I'm not feeling right. I'm burning my candle at both ends. I'm starting to sort of flag a bit. Yeah, but you're always kind of going. You're always thinking, yeah, when I get to that age, that's when I'll start sorting it out. <laughs> well, if it, if it becomes a problem, I can always say no, and I'll I'll you know, and I'll I'll start losing weight, and I'll get fit and. And yeah, so it's it's always it's always around a corner, isn't it? It's always that moment of mm. I'll, I'll do it when if if it becomes a problem. And even when it started becoming a problem, I was still ignoring it. You know, my gums were bleeding constantly, and and I had the flakiest willy you've ever seen. So you know, it looked like a broken snow globe. So um, <laughs> it wasn't. It you know, it, you just ignore it. So what what point did it really hit you that? This was that you had this sort of episode. Marcus directed me over towards the diabetes in, um, yeah, in 2000. No, ni- ni- end of 99. Yeah, 99, 2000. And I kind of, you know, had it checked and, yet yeah, you're diabetic. So I was immediately put on medication. And it was, it was, you know, it was about, I think it was about seven or eight of us at that time. 
mm. comics that were all suddenly, oh yeah, I've become a diabetic. Oh yeah, I've become <laughs> a diabetic. I've got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm touch wood. I'm still on medication while most of them are now injecting. So uh, ah. um, I sort of took it, a you know, I did take it a little bit serious. I think probably passing so much sugary mm. urine was the thing that upset me kidney. And that's why I had my cancer. It could have been bad diet. You know, there's so many, you, you read things about, you know, why you get it. And James Whale had kidney cancer. So mm. obviously just being a twat, you can get it. You don't know what causes it, but, I, you know, I, I was passing so much sugary wee for mm. such a long time without realising. I'm pretty sure that that didn't help. And that's where, I, yeah, that's where they found it. I started passing blood and I kind of went, this isn't right now. And and, and that was it. As soon as, you know, the, the, the diabetics sort of made me go, right, when anything happens now, boom you've got to go and it, you know it happened it happened at a gig i started passing blood yeah and and one person said didn't you have a strawberry smoothie it's probably that and another <laughs> comic said oh this happens to me quite regularly okay and it's like yeah there were two people there who were immediately kind of going oh yeah it's fine it's fine you don't need a reason to see a doctor and it was and it was only because of the diabetes i just kind of went no i'm not having this i'm going straight away and as mm. soon as i said yeah I, they were like okay let's find out if you've got problems wow was there any historical sort of family background of anything like this well stones a lot of mm. my family really kidney stones yeah my dad lost a kidney from kidney stones. My aunt lost a, ki a kidney from kidney stones. Uh, a few cousins. It was it was funny when I, when I went to the uh, see the doctor when the doctor told us it was cancer. My dad was with me, and my dad was just looking at the doctor going, "No, don't be stupid. He's got stones. Of course he's got stones. He hasn't got cancer. What are you talking about?" <laughs> but dad was trying to argue with him, which uh, it was everyone. I assumed it was going to be stones because of because of the family. You know, suddenly told, "No, you got cancer." It was like, "Oh, okay." Right, let's get on with that then. You've sort of got this diagnosis, but what do you think? Do you think, oh, you know, this is going to be a breeze? Did you, you know, was it a small tumour? They told me in February, you've got you've got a tumour in your kidney. Mm. Um, it's it's quite small uh, and we'll remove it. Uh, we can do it in, in May. Mm. So two months. So they gave you time. Yeah, which was a yeah, it was. I mean, in Scotland, it's. It, I think it's only like it's a, it's a week or twenty four. So maybe somebody told me twenty four hours. As soon as you're told you've got a tumor, you're into hospital and you're out. Pretty, you know, they'll, they'll sort it pretty quickly. Uh, but uh, yeah, not in not in England. We're we're <laughs> sort of very much a no. We'll, we'll, we'll you know we'll, we'll keep you up on the uh, up on the trap and you know make sure if it's all right before. I don't know why, but we we we're a bit worried. About don't really go straight in for it but no so it was two months and it was it was it was weird because it gave me two months to sort of think about it mm. I was told on a I was told on a Thursday right. that I had cancer and I, I was doing Jongler's Southampton in the evening and I was on the train going down and I was thinking am I going to talk about this on stage mm. and I thought about it long and hard and my, my, my thought was Look, you know, your three of your favourite comics, Graham Chapman, Andy Kaufman and Bill Hicks, they all died of cancer and they never told anyone. They just, mm. you know, they just got on with it. You know, you, you don't have to do this. You don't have to tell them. You don't have to sort of like, you know, try and get anything out of it. I was on stage and somebody heckled me with quite a sunny, I don't remember what it was, but all I remember yeah. doing was just going, oh, don't heckle me. I've just found out I've got cancer. <laughs> I've got I've got a tumour in my kidney. No, it's really big. Wow. Anyway, please welcome George Egg. <laughs> and, and to this day, the comic George Egg always goes, 
yeah, but you once, all right, all right, leave it. I know, I know. <laughs> but no, then I, then I just start talking about it because it was, look, you know, one of my closest, well, I say closest friends, I'm a, a good friend, Sean Lott, has just died of cancer. It's just died of, well, yeah. I didn't even know it was lung cancer. He kept it so quiet. Right. And that's fine if he wants to, you know, he didn't want to bask in it. He didn't want to make anything of it. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I, I wanted to because it's more, it's because it's such a, yeah, I just felt when, as soon as I started telling people like cancer, they couldn't say the word. And it really started pissing me off. Yeah. That people would always say, well, how's your, how's your health? How's your, how's your <laughs> issue? How's your problem? And you start, what, what is up with you people? And I just realized it was such, and it is, it's such a sort of like a taboo subject. But when you've got it, it's it's really horrible that you you know you're trying to deal with it, but what you're dealing with is everybody else dealing with it. Yeah, it's a funny word, isn't it? People don't want to say it. I didn't want to say it, so you know I'm just coming at you with that perspective as well. Of you said that you had to wait a couple of months. I I had very because I had testicular cancer. I literally mm. was in within three weeks. I was done, and right. um, I didn't have any time to process it. And that's why I'm interested in like the time that you got to do. It. I know it obviously it was a worry because you had that it could spread or you know something might happen in between. It did get a lot bigger. They were quite shocked at how big it got. It was over seven pounds. Wow, that's the size of a baby. Yeah, exactly. I've got. I, I took pictures of it. Uh, well, I did obviously. I was completely <laughs> out. The uh, the anaesthetist, bless him. I, I got the hospital uh, photographer. I said, "Will you come in and film my operation?" And he was yeah. like, "What do you want to do that for?" And I said, "I'm, I'm probably going to do a show about it." And he was like, "Oh, good, you're a bit of a freak." And um, he, he apparently, as soon as they said it's oh, it's a lot bigger than we expected, he bowed out. He was oh. just like, oh, "I don't want anything to do with this." And bless him, the anaesthetist who I really got on with picked up the camera, and his very words was, "I filmed the things I thought you'd want." which was including a bit where they they're actually lifting up my side like it's a bit of tuna it's just like it's quite it's quite funny i think you can it's the the show's on um on youtube so you can you can see it there and see the the operation it was it was a strange thing like i said you know the way people reacted it, it, it i felt it had to be talked about i really did and as soon as I started doing it, you know, and, and, the, and the way people were behaving around me mm-hmm. and, and, and not just friends and family, but but medical people and everything. I just found it very strange. And a, and a statistic they told me at the Whittington's Hospital, the, 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 the urologist said when he tells people, he said, like, he says about 30 percent of people go, right, OK, let's deal with it. We'll deal with it head on. Let's go for it. He says 30 percent of people fall apart. 30% of people are just like, oh, this is awful, I'm going to die, and, da, 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 da. and he has to really sort them out And you know, when they hmm. do it. He says, but then 40% of them, he never sees again. He tells them that they have cancer, and then he, they they try and find where they've gone. It's just, you know, either they've gone to private medicine or, hmm. you know, that's the majority of them then sort of like, you know, click in somewhere special because they want it done pretty quickly. Mm. But he says that's that for him is just because it is such a modern day bogeyman mm. that they don't trust the NHS. They don't trust him. And he just doesn't see or hear of them again, which, which I just find. And that's the other thing is, is, you know, I, I, as I say in, 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 in the show is, I, you know, I, all I can do is from the bottom of my heart, thank these people for, for, you know, keeping me alive, doing what they did. 
And, um, and, and that whole idea must be awful that you just, that nearly 50% of people just don't trust you. Mm. That they just go, all right, well, I'm not seeing you again because you told me I've got cancer. And you just go, that's just, that's just it's shit. It's absolutely mad, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I, this is the person that's told me, this is the person who's prepared to do that. Then I'm going to stay with them for, for the whole, mm. you know, whole duration of this. So, yeah, it's, it is, it is. You know, even 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 now, I still get people who go, "Oh, I'm I'm not sure if you ever should have made a thing about it." <laughs> a lot of people say I was, you know, I was groundbreaking. Oh, you're the first person who did it. I don't give a fuck about that. It's just, you know, it just happens to be that I wanted to, you know, as any comic, when a bit of material comes along that's interesting to talk about, you're going to talk about it. I hated being labelled as the cancer comic, yeah, because that was then, you know, whenever there was a any form of benefit. You know, it was can't um, we better get we better get Vinny? We better get Vinny. And you kind of go, look, I I'm not the you know you want me to do ten minutes on my cancer, and I got you know, in, and sometimes that ten minutes, you know, when people aren't expecting it at yeah. the right place, is fantastic. Yeah. But you got people who are supporting cancer. Chances are, yeah, there are a lot of people in that crowd that have been touched, and they're there because of a reason. And then I come out and go, so oh, I survived. Hey, losers. You know, it's like, oh, dear, they, they don't want that. So it, it, it hated that. I hated that. And, and, and as fast as I sort of, you know, became, when I did, you know, took the show to Edinburgh and, and it, it turned into a TV show, mm. it, it got, you know, heavily noted that as soon as that was all, all over, I kind of went, I dropped it fast. Because I did, I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be the the cancer comic. I didn't want to be. Oh, we better turn to him because you know it, it just, it's just it's just shitty. That's a big issue that I have with life. Is um, obviously you know talking about medical conditions, but I know lots of people that will use that as their kind of that's their thing and they're ill mm. and they'll milk it and they'll do all the kinds of stuff. And um, you know what I struggle with is that thing of identity. Sort of, I'm looking. Obviously, I'm saying at the moment, I'm looking at my identity and it's a thing that you think, well, either I could be defined by being ill or I can use the illness against itself and overcome something and actually achieve something. So like for you to get on the gravy train with the cancer material, it's probably, you know, quite a temptation to sort of just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Obviously, you sort of dropped it. You know, what do you feel like after that when you moved on? Could you move on? Did people let it go? It got picked up by an American uh, TV company that they and I, I, I redid an, another chunk for them. It did really well in 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 North America, and you just and it was it it just felt like I had to move on within by the end of two thousand and two, hmm. as as like doing it live. I filmed it in I think two thousand and three. Yeah. So then it sort of like came up again, and you know, and then I had to go around and and do some promo stuff and <laughs> so that was that was strange where you're sort of like walking into places and going yeah yeah I'm here because I had cancer and I did a comedy show about it and they're kind of like looking at you going oh that's that's an interesting thing you know I, I did um, you know you go into radio stations and, and it's for them that it, my god the DJs that just turned into pure Alan Partridge with that, with that moment of having to deal with, you know, me happily rambling on about, you know, cancer comedy. And you could just, you could feel them just kind of go, oh, right, well, that, this is going to be awkward now, isn't it? And, <laughs> and, you know, and that's, that was, there was that. That's what I wanted to drive away. Yeah. Um, 
but at the same time as as fast as I was getting into it and, and doing it I, I wanted it to be the comedy wise I wanted it to be over yeah because it was you know it was it was used it was it was great to talk about it when I had it and then when you sort of like are over it it's like okay uh, something else now please do you think that you like that edgy comedy would that appeal to you in the sense of obviously you've got this thing that you're going through and I've seen you perform a few times and you, you do like to sort of play with the audience let's say so do you like that edginess do you think that that's a sort of you going somewhere that people might not like that sort of you like you get the energy out of it yeah yeah I, there is a I, as, as far as being on stage and just you know I, I don't when they you know so oh, there's a line and he crossed it for <laughs> me I, I'm still looking for the line you know I don't think I, I think as, as I said to you when you know I think Everything, everything is a subject for comedy as long as the punchline's correct. <laughs> you know, you can't just you can't just boulder in and just do something just ugly and 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 you know and, and trivial about a subject. You have to it has to be correct. It has to be you know right. But I, you know, especially where we do have that. What are they, what do they call themselves? The um, Oh, the the major what are they called? Minority. The oh, I forgot what it is. The moral minority. That was it. The moral minority that started existing after the um, Jonathan Ross Russell Brand hiatus. Mm. The Daily Mail created the minor the the moral minority that they had every right to to start questioning what people you know were discussing and and and. Well, well, okay, do that, do that. If you're offended, then you know I haven't gone out to be offensive. Yeah, you know, and you can't, you can't give offence. You can only take offence. Yeah. That's you, you, you've decided that it's offensive, not me. And you know, the, the, there's so many subjects that people have gone. Oh, I'm not sure you should have done that, or oh, I think that was wrong. Well, okay, that's what you think. I don't think so. That's just you know that. You know, otherwise, for me, it just gets to that point. Well, where do you, where do you stop it? You know, you can't do jokes about swimming in case there's somebody in the room that you know, somebody they knows drowned. You know, it, it gets ridiculous. And, and like I said, I wasn't going out to 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 shock and, mm. and 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 be offensive. It was it was things that were happening. So when I was talking about a you know a camera going down my penis, it's because that's what they did. They put a camera down my penis. Yeah. And, you know, people. Oh, you can hear the, you know, the woos and whirls in the in the in the room. You go, well, this is what happens, folks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, you can't just expect it all to be rainbows and cats and dogs. Well, that's the problem with medical procedures. Is that they're not really generally very comfortable, are they? So they're. Uh... But yet, yet, casualty in Holby City has been one of the biggest dramas of on British television for years. So there is there is a loving of it as long as it's done correctly with that you know I, I was always a fan of scrubs I thought it was one of the finest sitcoms of all time when you're in a hospital what kind of patient were you were you good compliant were mm -hmm. you rude were you naughty never ever rude I they said you've got to have pajamas I was a bit thrown by that and so I went to John Lewis to look at pajamas and I was just like you know the, the things they were selling there. You'd expect to see a, mm. a, a Noel Coward pool party, and I was thinking, I can't wear something. I can't wear these stripy or silk. So, bless her. My my other half found some South Park material, and she made me a pair of South Park pajamas. 
So already the sort of like staff, as soon as I put these on, can mm-hmm. see that I'm not taking this seriously. I look like, you know, the, the, the fattest nine-year-old they've ever seen in their life running around the walls. I, I, um, there's, a, there's a bloke, he's, he's, he's got a cancer, but he's, he's like this. He's great. He's, he's so East End. And uh, they said he's got, he's got Hodgkin's disease. And I said, I think you find he's got Bob Hodgkin's disease. And so they were like, oh, my God, this bloke's going to get on our nerves, isn't he, about me. So there was that. And then what happened was, I told you, when they opened me up, my my tube was so much bigger than they expected. I was meant to be in a four-hour procedure, and apparently it was like eight hours, and then they put me into intensive care for about, I think it was about another 10 hours. So when they took me back to the ward, my bed was gone. And all my stuff had, was, was like bundled up into black bin liners. And they clearly thought I'd oh, died. Boy. And so there was this moment of me kind of like, you know, very drowsy, <laughs> very kind of like, you, you know, knowing that this has happened. And, and this nurse just kind of going, no, no, we didn't. We just, we just, we, we, and this, she was just so, you could feel the awkwardness out the whole thing when they took me back to the to my ward um they realized my bed had gone they left me out on a gurney in the hallway <laughs> during the night like still in and still in just the robe and, <laughs> and my girlfriend kept it but they'd put a tag on my toe that said all the valuables have been removed from this body <laughs> Had that much faith in you. <laughs> yeah. It was like so I kind of, you know, the the I it it wasn't, I wasn't, I don't think I was a bad patient. I I did find it just just funny and 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 they could see where I was coming from. And and so for them it was, you know, they they kind of I don't know, we just we just had a good laugh, yeah. really. Nurses are a laugh, aren't they? I think they they see so much shit literally that uh, they yeah. have to be uh, have a sense of humor yeah yeah they're always sort of collecting urine off of you and everything aren't they so they're they're kind of they yeah. just sort of yeah, they've seen it done it, it. <laughs> they've seen everything yeah. haven't they every shape size yeah all the bits and bobs. Yeah. you know it's very much like um doing it for the army yeah. you know they've just got that gallows humor yeah, yeah they just just plod on don't they you know they're used to they they, they hang around dead bodies so for them, it's, you know, it's, I think, yeah, yeah. So they yeah, it was fun. You've had this operation. What, what happened? I mean, what was your recovery? I mean, was it like, oh, I'm jumping out of bed? And Well, it was weird because I went in on the Friday and I was out on the Monday. Yeah. And that was it. It was like, this is your cancer now, Friday afternoon. Yeah. Oh, your cancer's gone Monday. Yeah, it was like a long weekend of cancer. <laughs> Um, and it was, I would have been out on a Sunday if I could have managed yeah, to poo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those ones. Yeah, yeah. They like that as well, don't they? <laughs> don't they? Don't they? If you can, yeah, as soon as you pass the stall, um, lucky I, I'm, because uh, of diabetic, if you get a diabetic toffee from Thornton's, whoa, that moves everything. <laughs> so, yeah, my other half bought some of that in and on the Monday. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was, yeah. Oof. Like dino rod, and um, <laughs> so 
it was it was that was it. It was it was over. And and even you know when they when they went to look at it a, a, a month later, you know, it had to be checked. There none of the you know the cancer had all gone. Um, that you know I had to you know worried that I might have to have some sort of um, maybe some later treatment or uh, chemotherapy. Yep. But no, we were we were all fine. That was it. it just got it. Yeah, yeah, it just got it out and. So you breathe a big sigh of relief. Twenty years ago, well, yeah, and then and then you're in that horrible moment of being told, right now, now you're in what is it? um, Remission. uh, What do they call remission? Remission. You five years of remission. I don't like the word remission because it just sounds like your tumor's gone. You know, it's like a discotheque. If I go out, it's all right. I'll come back later. You know that I'm I'm going to get re. It's like I don't like the word remission, but yeah. Yeah, you're in remission. Yeah, I don't. I didn't like that as well. I've kind of um, dealing with some other medical issues. I've got a, uh, like a kidney issue that's quite serious, and I um basically as soon as I got the cancer, everyone, all the kidney things have gone quiet, and all the th- planning and everything that was going on, and they just shut down. And it's like, well, you've got these five years of monitoring, and uh, I I just sort of said, well, you know, that's brilliant, but I now need to know what the plan is. So um. I think that's what sort of exactly, pushed me yeah. sort of into a kind of mental. Yeah, yeah, it, it hangs over you, and 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 that's the problem. Is is again, it makes people go, "Oh, I'm still a cancerite. Mm. Oh, I'm still I'm still touched by cancer." When I did the tour, you know, there were there were people there who go, "Yeah, oh, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm I've had cancer. I'm I'm still still you know a cancer person." And you go, "Well, when was it? Oh, 23 <laughs> years ago." And you go, oh, "Fuck off! It's gone. It's over. It's it's done." Had you it know, done um, it, bought the T-shirt, yeah. it can sort of. Yeah, yeah, they still sort of like wearing it with pride. Yeah, that's what I don't want. You know. I don't want any of that. It, sadly, the the tour did bring out lots of people that had been, you know, that had had mm. it, and I mean that was good. That you know, and I'd always start the second half with right, come on then, tell us. Yeah. And it was great because there were, you know, there were people who were telling their family things that they'd never had done before. Right. So I, again, I was sort of happy about that. I had, I think it was at Hemel Hempstead. There were three women that had had breast cancer together, and the women, the woman that had it the worst, still had a breast, and the others didn't realise right. that. They'd thought that she had had that she must be having like you know that both her breasts were false, right. but she had one still intact, and the others didn't know that. And it had been like six or seven years, and it's like fuck's sake, why have you not talked about it? You all went through it together, but you haven't actually really. You know, talked about what you all went through, because again, it's such a bogeyman. It's such a thing that we don't pry into. Yeah, that we're all told, you know, that it's it's something that you know that it's yours and yours alone. Right, and it is strange. It's strange. Yeah, it's that funny human condition aspect, isn't it? Where it just won't go away. It mm. sort of sits, hovers underneath mm. the elephant in the room, the thing that, that yeah, people yeah. do. Did you notice? Did you notice that when you had it, you suddenly start? Read, you notice so many more stories mm. and 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 you you you're just tuned into everything that you know you start seeing crisps give you cancer <laughs> this fruit gives you cancer it's just like i was so aware of of everything that was you know that was like a cancer story or a cancer moment so much more than you know than than just oh, yeah living in the land of a lapdog of normality and then i found that i tried to make everyone else happy i was sort of like I, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. All this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing wrong. Don't fuss. Like my mum was fussy yeah. fuss, and I, I can't stand any of that. 
And that, that obviously, to a certain degree, is a good thing because you don't want to dwell on it. But uh, the secondary side of it is I wasn't really processing it very well. So that kind of hit me back later on. Sort of in, so in November, I was having my operation and then I didn't really, I sort of had a bit of a breakdown. You know, it hit me really in February. So, because I just repressed it all and got three weeks, bang, go back to it. I went back to it after two weeks. So, and there's that thing of, oh, get on with life. You know, you're a good, good husband and father and get on with it and look after your kids and your wife. And uh, there's a sort of, uh, that's one aspect as well. I think as a man, you know, there is a level of, again, you're saying not talking about it. I think men are pretty bad. Like I'm pretty bad at talking about, I'll tell my wife if I'm not well, but I don't really talk about any anything particularly you know unless it's serious yeah so i don't know what you're yeah, like <laughs> we'll always kind of, you know, we'll have a bad shoulder and we won't do anything about it we'll just you know oh that'll sort itself out in the end something or something will happen you can't sleep oh no i can't sleep but oh, it's just my shoulder it'll sort. we're useless at that men are useless at that They're, you know we, we we won't discuss it and and then you like you say it, it all sort of like gets on top of you and especially when you're dealing with other people yeah dealing with you when you have it that big as i said at the beginning it's sort of you don't deal with it you deal with other people dealing mm. with it it's a bit like when someone dies you get that, all that kind of yeah people yeah. won't talk about it again it's exactly the same when my dad died exactly the same kind of thing of oh you mustn't sort of tread on anything that's delicate or and it's like well my dad's died i, I can't really say anything else you could say how yeah. are you rather than you know blah 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 <laughs> that kind of english yeah. or british sort of nonsense that we do yeah, absolutely. And even though, you know, in those moments that you kind of go, oh, dad would have loved that. Yeah. Or, you know, something happens at the funeral that you know that he would have he would have found hysterical. Mm-hmm. You can't point it out to other people because, well, that's just disrespectful. And you're going, but why? well, why? Why? You know, I can remember at my nan's funeral, you know, you get this, you get the, the vicar who then, you know, does this half eulogy of, of the information that's been given to him by the family. And and you, there was, I was sitting with Nans and, and there was this moment where, where the vicar suddenly went and Rosie loved knitting. Now, all my life, I've never seen my nan with knitting needles, ever. And I was just in this place just going, knitting? Knitting? What, what, what? Nan never knitted. What are, we, what are we saying knitting for? And everyone was going, shh, 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 shh. I go, no, I won't. And it was just one of those things, you know, again, because it's it's something you don't do. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm not letting this go. And I, I just I just found out until we found out who was it who told him that. And they went, didn't she? No, not at all. The vicar or whoever's doing it, they don't know the person. So they are relying on this sort of strangely written statement that says, oh, you know, so-and-so liked doing this and they did that. And I've been to quite a few funerals where they still talk rubbish. And yeah, I get the yeah. names wrong as well. They say it with such earnest yeah, yeah. that they know the person all their life. Oh, and we're here to... <laughs> and you just think, such a faker. <laughs> such a faker. And I, I've often thought about uh, what they called... Um, Celebrant. Ah, a celebrant mm, that's a good word. Is, is what it's called. A celebrant. And I, I kind of like wouldn't mind looking into that because I think it would be, I think there must be people by now who are who are like either, yeah, I wouldn't mind a, a funny, funny send-off. You could do that. You know, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yourself I'd, out. Love to, I'd love to do that. I'd love to sit there and go, right. Come in on a let's um, get Recycle, juggling. <laughs> yeah. Balancing the coffin on your chin. Yeah. Right. 
Oh, I said though, I said to my wife the other day, I said, when I die, I want you to be really fucking miserable. So I was I was playing the other card and said, I want everyone crying and miserable. I said, all these people now that say, Oh, when I die, I want you playing, you know, always look on the bright side of life and laughing. I said, nah, 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 I want you all to be absolutely miserable. It was a Stu Who line who used to say, uh, when I die, I want to be buried with 10 grand's worth of uh, scotch whiskey. <laughs> And about ten grand's worth of Coca, uh, uh, Coca Cola, um, uh, best Colombian Coke. <laughs> There's going to be tears at my funeral. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it is, isn't it? It is that sort of like we say that that British stiff upper lip. We shouldn't be. We can't. You know. Yeah. Well, I take it then that um, come out of hospital and that we're kind of bouncing around on the subject, and you just sort of went back to. Me yeah, yeah. I I came out the beginning of May. First gig, I think, was something like May the twenty eighth. Really? Yeah, yeah. With the with the stick with the uh, staples, staples, staples. Yeah, I remember showing them to an audience. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it was like laughter, laughter, laughter. Showed the staples. Oh my! You could feel this room just go. Oh fuck no! Yeah, tried up. Need that. <laughs> Didn't, sorry, everyone. I thought you would have been alright. Um, so yeah, and then, and I think by about mid June, I thought, you know what? There's enough here to do Edinburgh. So, yeah. of course, most people have ticked everything off by mid-May. Every room's gone and da-da-da-da. To suddenly come forward and go in mid-June, right, I think I've got enough now for a, for an Edinburgh show. Nobody nobody was interested. Nobody was like, most of the producers were like, oh, I, I don't, no, nah, I can't see me taking that. Les Ed Smith at Karushi went, yeah, come on then, let's do it. And he found me a room and, yeah, that was it. So how many performances did you get out of that then? At Edinburgh, run? I did the whole run. And it was really strange. It was like the first... Sh- I, I did... It, I just couldn't get it right. I couldn't get... I did previews. The first preview I did was at the Troubadour, and it lasted nearly two and a half hours. And even <laughs> then, Dave Ward had to actually come forward and go, Vinny, it's, you've done two and a half hours. You've got... And it was like, oh, my God, all right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. I'll have to... Yeah. <laughs> And then, but it got big laughs where I wanted it to. Then the next time, so I cut and cut and cut. Then the next one I did at the gatehouse in in Highgate, which used to be one of my favourite rooms. And it got nothing. It got nothing. Like nobody, nobody laughed. Nobody, you, they were just staring, really staring. And somebody I really admired just suddenly went, I think it's a really lovely story to tell. And I thought, that's not what I'm after. Hang on a yeah, minute. <laughs> that's not what I'm after. Then I did a preview in Edinburgh and, and it just, it, it still didn't work. And then the next night, it absolutely pissed down. I mean, poured. It was one of those torrential nights and the room leaked. And so I said, let's not bother doing it. And, and I just went back <laughs> and I went, right, just put your head down. You've got to work this out. You've got to work it out. And then the next night, it, ju- it for some reason it just clicked. It just went boom. Right. And I went, oh, that worked. That worked. And that was that was a Friday night. It really worked. Saturday night, it was like poof. Then Sunday, I got a five star review, and it was oh right. And then everybody suddenly sat up and listened. Do you love writing? I mean, is that something that you like doing or you like a lot of comedians and you leave it and leave it and leave it and leave it? I'm really lazy. That's the problem. I'm I'm one of these people who I love 
adding, I will, I will always, you know, I don't think any routine can stop. I think you can add and add and add. I used to watch Eddie do it. Eddie, I could see it, you know, um, I'd, I'd see a, a routine, a little glimmer of something star. Um, and then, I, you know, three weeks down the line, I'd seen him added so much stuff to it. And then, uh, two, you know, and then another three weeks, boom, you know, it's still getting bigger and bigger. So for me, it's it's always, you know, I don't sit there and, and try and write and, and add or um, work out what I'm going to say. It's, okay, there's the gem of an idea. Let's just keep working it. Let's just, now we're on tonight. Okay, I want to add that tonight. I'm going to add this tonight. Hmm. And, and that's how I do it is I just keep adding more and more as we as we go along. So you're not scripted. You're not no, scripting it. No, I'm, I can't, no, I can't be doing that. You know, I'll, I'll write down a set list, and again, it's just the, it's just the idea, it's just the, mm. you know, the way, because I think, you know, that after a while, I mean, especially coming back out after lockdown, you, you know, <laughs> you know, jokes, you know that that's your joke, and and you are saying it in a different way because you haven't said it for such a long time, and there are some you suddenly go, oh, I think I prefer it that way. I know that's wrong. I know that's different. You sit there and you're kind of getting to a bit and you're going, missed a bit, missed a bit. There's something gone gone from that. What was that used to be there? There used to be something there. And, and you, you know, you're adding and playing, you know, just with stuff that, that that's, you know, at least two or three years old at the moment because it's all new and coming back to you. And yeah. it's, it's the same with what I've always done. So, you know, and even even during Edinburgh, I can remember adding bits and kind of going, oh, let's just let's, let's, let's put that there. Let's 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 move that. That story, you know, didn't work. So maybe if I did that and put it there and, you know, so you're always doing it. And now a word from our sponsor. Un, deux, trois. Don't let erectile dysfunction ruin your day. Go to lizhard.com to purchase our clinically proven discreetly packaged products. With one tiny pill, a limp lizard is a thing of the past. Lizard.com, breathing new life into tired reptiles. And now we return to our podcast. Thinking about the course and everything, enjoyed that. And I think we, uh, we're very fortunate to get you because uh, you've sort of opened up a, I don't know what you call it, sort of bit of my brain. A can of worms, a bit in my brain, and um, I've kind of unfortunately got a slight sort of uh, desire to sort of keep doing Good. this, but it's sort of trying to find that creative outlet because I, I, I was sort of wondering, you know, how how many people can sort of do this and, and get anywhere with it. And uh, it's an interesting thing because I sort of look at your, I've looked at your schedule on the website. You, you're quite busy. So I assume that you just have to keep hammering away and keep doing it. But when you're beginning, it's like this sort of no man's land of not knowing sort of anything or anyone or anywhere. And then sort of slowly you feel like you sort of tiptoeing yeah, into yeah, places you that you and, and, you know, and then people see you and, and they kind of, oh, will you come and do mine? And then somebody sees you there mm. or somebody puts you forward or, you know somebody says oh I, I need somebody or oh, I tell you I saw the other day I, I do I mean that, that whole idea of the, the people who come forward who've got a, you know a decent 10 minutes and think well why isn't that decent 10 minutes on uh, live at the Apollo you know <laughs> well. the people that are doing their 10 minutes on live at the Apollo have at least four or five hours in there you know un mm. underneath them before they can do that 10 minutes so it is a strange it's a strange world I mean I enjoy it. And as long as, you know, as long as you just realize, just enjoy the moment, enjoy the ride. Mm. You know, there are so many people who are, who are so grabby and, and, and are desperate for the, the next big thing and to be the next big thing that they miss the fun as they go along. No, I like 
I like just getting the audience to laugh. I mean, there's a kind of sense of just bringing them along on this journey with you and just getting them to engage in what you're talking about. Because I've done my five minutes of my sort of cancer stuff, and now I'm now writing the next five minutes, and I've gone sort of I'm going to go in a different direction. And it's kind of suddenly you've sort of done this comedy course, and now I'm kind of hang on a minute, I've got to go beyond five minutes, and that starts to get a bit scary. But that adrenaline sort of hopefully will push into the performance, and like doing, say, the Cavendish comedy versions. At least it's a safe environment; you can go out and yeah. sort of do it. Because um, one of the other comedians uh, I, I was there with, he wants to do Gong Show at the sure. comedy, comedy club. Is that comedy store? So, um, and I said, well before you do that can I come and just watch it with you and um it's that thing of like you're thinking well to get sort of too sort of cocky too quickly I think he's like hang on a minute you've got to have a bit of sort of yeah. repertoire going on you've got to have a bit of material you've got to have a bit of extra just because you don't know what's going to happen do you so to go to a like do five minutes do it perform it once so I've performed it twice now and then go to the gong show I was like hang on that that seems like a bit of a kind of bang yeah, bang bang. That's 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 a yeah too too fast too fast to jump. And that's what people are doing these days. They're really sort of like jumping and jumping and jumping. And and you know it it, it makes me worry because I think there's so much fun to be had along the way. And you know yeah, it is this um, kind of X factor kind of strange fifteen yeah, minutes yeah. of fame. If I get on telly, I'll be all right. I mean, there are there are comics that are immediately sort of fast tracked through by the big agents to you know to mm. well you do that and then you'll get this and and you go okay well yeah so you know Phil Wang has done you know he's got pushed straight onto live at the Apollo so he's he's doing other TV work but he hasn't mm. he hasn't gone to Dubai he hasn't gone to Hong Kong and all those places you get to play on your way in, in the, you know, in that learning stages when you're going through those early years as, as an apprentice and you get to, you know, you get to travel mm. around the world for free. And, and I'm, I kind of feel sorry for those people that have been, you know, that you've got, or you've got something that's quite a, a individual about you and so we'll, we'll push you through and they're kind of like going all right yeah I'll do that I'll jump at that and you go no just let it happen pace yourself because there's so much fun <laughs> there's so much fun you know you're playing yeah. to 40 people in a shit room on a wet and windy night in real something something wonderful is going to happen from that and so enjoy that moment yeah really enjoy it yeah there's no point is there there's no point if you don't enjoy it and it's just a, a business yeah. kind of proposition. It, it seems mm. to be very cold and there are comedians like that, aren't there, that seem to just sort of have this sort of business mindset of mm. like perform, 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 perform. And then when you talk to them or, or hear them in interviews, I mean, you feel I, like... I can't believe it. I can't believe else, it when I hear a comics gone, yeah, I, well, I've had to pull that gig because, you know, I was only paying one, one, you know, I was being paid 184 and this other gig was paying me 250. <laughs> so I naturally went to the 250 gig. <laughs> And you thought, well, you'll never get the 180 gig ever again because you fuck that person over. And for, for you know, for, for eight quid, you've 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 done yourself out of future gigs. And I mean, I've heard some of the greatest excuses for you know for pulling gigs. I heard a friend of mine told me that somebody had pulled a gig on him because it was the um, final uh, season finale of. Um, Game of Thrones, and they didn't <laughs> want to hissy any spoilers the next day. 
what? No, that's not possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the reason that they, they're not doing the gig tonight. You go, wow. Okay. You, you haven't got into this for the same reason that I've got into it. Well, I'd rather perform to sort of 10 people than to 5,000 if the 10 people, you know, were there to enjoy yeah. themselves and had a good time. Like, you know, what, what's the point of doing a big gig if you, you kind of, the people yeah. there aren't yeah, enjoying Yeah, absolutely. It you're one of the comics on the list that they didn't want to see. <laughs> I mean, that oh, must God, happen, yeah. surely, that, that you come on and, and, and they're like, well, I didn't come to see you, so I'm not going to engage. I'm going to keep drinking mm. and talking and probably heckle as well. And uh, it sounds like quite a lot of comics have had to deal with that in the past where they're sort of invited along to join someone. And it, then it's they're, they're it's something that's like, happening well, a lot is, the you? you know, they got you get big names that are going out and you think you're going to see a big name mm. and they've got two supports and then, you know... It's like three yeah, people, isn't it, yeah. quite frequently? And now. you're just kind of going, this audience don't know that you're on. They're just, you know, they're going to turn up and you're, you know, whoever's that middle person, they're all right if they go, oh, okay, it's 20 minutes. And suddenly they think, now here comes the big headliner. Oh, and now please welcome so-and-so. That's the second act. They're going to, oh, that's going to be so shitty for that audience and so awful for that performer. So weird what's happening in the comedy world. Do you do like gigs where it's just you or you often on the bill with other comics. So how do you, how do you I like do all sorts. Work? I mean, you know, you, you can do ones where when I, I you know, the cancer tour was, was just me, which was nice. Um, I did another show once that, that did quite well. And so went out on a uh, solo tour. I, I, I just take everything as it is. You know, I think every, just having the opportunity to perform is, is thankful enough. From from doing you know huge massive festivals, you know you know that they they're just staring at you, but fuck it, just just do it. It's, you know that's fun hmm. to fifteen people in a room. You know those early early gigs that we're doing. You know just at, at that moment of is lockdown finished? Is it? You know you're turning up a room and everybody's yeah, spaced, yeah, yeah. and and you're kind of going, all right, let's have a let's just talk to them, and it's just lovely. You know, you can have a nice, you know, you can be regularly selling out in Edinburgh and then you can guarantee that that first Sunday you get a big drop off in an audience. And I, I guarantee you <laughs> that first Sunday is your favourite show because you're suddenly, you know, you, you're doing all that material that you've been doing. <laughs> you can't do it like that anymore. You can't do it. You know, that room of 250 people that you were doing, blah, 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 blah. you've now got 25 people and they're just there. And so suddenly it's just me and you talking. And have you noticed? And it's lovely. You suddenly, the rhythm and everything of, of the jokes that the night before was so big. And, and then I did this and then I did that. But now I can't do it like that. So how long did it take you to sort of work out how to deal with an audience? Because you can't just have walked on stage the first time, do stand up and go. Right, I mean, I, I kind of came at it from such a different, different world. I mean, I, you know, I've been a performer. I've mm. been a performer since I was seven. I, I realised, I realised, this Christmas will be my fiftieth year of performing, and I've never done anything else but. I've always been the one facing mm. the wrong way to everybody else in the room. Never had a, never had an office job. Never had a, you know, never been a laptop of normality at all. It's just, it's just all been in the arts and the entertainment. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I kind of like, you know, I. Did a, was an actor, did a show that needed circus skills. I really enjoyed that. Started learning yeah. to clown, did some circuses, ended up street performing. 
and I think I think for me, street performing was was a really good teacher because you're you're learning to to gather an audience and then you know keeping an audience and then yeah. being that entertaining that you're making them take money out of their pocket and drop it into your hat. And you look at the people. I mean, you know, we were talking about Izzard that he, you know, he, the way he writes and the way his mind is thinking comes from street performing, is that you're always you're always on the back foot because you're always, like, looking, making sure everything's fine, that, you know, if you've got a nutter walk through or a cyclist or a van or anything can happen at any time, you've got to be aware of it. You've got to mm. be thinking. It, it's a, it was a great, great place to learn. You, you will see Robin Williams, you know, his early street performing days in San Francisco. That's certainly his sort of like energy is such a street clown that went in, went in to, you know, do stand up. So that's your, your sort of journey in that. Yeah, it was way. also, and then I got, into, I got into improv a lot and I was living in Canada and they were doing a lot of yeah. improv. So that was, you know, again, because of street performing, I was good at improvisation and, and thinking on my feet and, and playing. That's the problem yeah. with me as a, as a as a stand-up and why I don't write anything, why I don't sit down and, and create and, you know, and mm-hmm. make a, a nice sound of a sentence. It's, you know, that each time it's it's me almost like coming up and waffling. And and I think that's quite nice. I think they do think, oh, look, he's just, you know, making up. As I, as I said to you, I think as far as acting goes as well, I think it's a, a useful tool. I know I get a bigger laugh from an audience if I've said, you know, a, a line to deal with a heckle that I, I it looks like mm-hmm. I've just come up with it as opposed to, you know, I've said this a hundred times. Yeah, and if you did that to your mum, then she would give me a biscuit. You know, oh, but if I say, you know, as if you've mm-hmm. just come up with it, wee, what a huge laugh. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a useful tool, I think. I think, you know, for in all parts of the entertainment world in the world of arts and craft that we live in. So what's next? Uh, I shall be uh, in pantomime as ever. I love, I I still (laughs) get such a kick out of 10 months of the year, traveling, doing my words, saying what's happening, entertaining everyone in the room, but suddenly having that two months where I'm entertaining everyone from three to 83 in a room I there is I do get a buzz out of it I get a buzz taking the beard off and and putting on a frock and you know yeah there's a few people that have said well you know do you ever want fancy doing Dane with a beard and there is you know where you just sort of like you know you're standing and you is there something on my chin I think I feel cream here why are you staring at me like that for you know that you can play that <laughs> But um, I, uh, it, it would be nice, and I'm, I want to do more of more of my history stuff again. I just two mm. things that have happened this this week is is you know obviously Sean and that you want to Sean Lock you want to make sure that people know Sean in the future because he was such a such a force, such an interesting person. I know Dave Badil at the moment is saying, "Well, I was on the stage first, but." Uh, in the first gig at Wembley and, and and as far as you know people saying oh well they were the first comics to do anything like that I'd like to say this now and you're the first person to hear this people like Jimmy Tarbuck were comparing 
the enemy poll winners parties at Wembley in the 60s. So, you know, there were comics doing stadiums in this country before that. All right, yeah, they weren't booked to see a comic like they were with Badil and Newman, but the yeah, Badil and Newman still are the first English people to do it at Wembley in this country, booked to see them. First stadium comic in the British Isles, and I'll say the British Isles, it was obviously Sean Hughes in Ireland. He sold out um, a big stadium yeah. there. But lucky, because Badil and Newman came out and did We Are History, first of all. That's your mum, that is. They did that, first of all. They were the first yes. on stage yet. But Lockie came forward holding a mic and did jokes. First person to do stand up in a stadium in, you know, in that guise of you have come to see a comedy show. And that could that could easily be forgotten. And that really worries me. I, lo- I love my comedy history and I see so many important things just just fall aside. And people don't know things, you know, that the, the A&E. Accident and emergency is was created in this country because of comedy. The rules of engagement in battle changed because of comedy. The apartheid in South Africa was created because of two British comedians. Things like that, I think, are important and should be should be remembered. And, and we're forgetting it. Um, I've just seen in America, and, and it's worth looking at, um, they've got a new museum. And it's called the the National Comedy Center, and it is just that. It is it is being built to just talk about comedy history. Everybody that's done stand up and sitcom and and everything in North America. I know we've got a cellar under a, a, a church that's got somebody's collection. It's not good enough. We need the government to do something. You know, it, it annoyed me during lockdown how the Arts Council mm. refused to look at stand-up as an art. Didn't say, you know, didn't didn't think it counted. When you think of the money that we bring into the country in tax, when a, when a stand-up fills a stadium, he gets that money and 40% of the tax goes, goes to the government. When a band who sells out just as many, it then all that money just gets broken down, da-da-da-da, and all the usual things that happen, no way do the Stones pay the same amount of money as Ross Noble. It really fucks me off that we are just getting no support or, or not being given the importance of, of, that, that we are. So, you know, I think it's time that that, that happened. With, with, the, with the mislaid comedy heroes that I've got, I don't know if you ever saw, saw that website, I I, I, yeah. I want to get more into that. I really do. I want to I want to push push that. And I mean, I, again, as I said this this week, I, I put up a film. I found this little film came through from from a South African website. A uh, forty five minute silent film that I, I thought was fantastic. Ronnie Barker was in it. Ronnie Stevens, um, Bill mm-hmm. Fraser, Bernard Cribbins. Peter Butterworth, all these old comics, silent film from 1965 on a building site. And I found out a story that that was made by a building company and it was meant to be a corporate film for this building company for them at Christmas. And the producers realised how good it was. They sold it to some film company and it became a boom B-movie. It was being shown in cinemas all around the country. And and the actors, they never got any extra money for it. They got absolutely shafted. Anyway, Mm. I put it up on YouTube. It got taken down because I've discovered another production company have bought it and they have it on a DVD. And so they're selling it. So still, after 68 years, the the artists, comedians are still being shafted. 
grafted. I find it frightening. I find it frightening that we have no, we have no support, that we just aren't shown the respect that, that's due. There isn't anything to, to see all this, you know, wonderful stuff. The British Musical Society have got some of the most wonderful memorabilia, and it's in a lockup in Northwell. And you go, why mm. is it not in a museum? Because we can't afford it. We haven't got anything. Doesn't it? Max Miller suit. You know, all right, it's per George Roby stuff. It's people that, you know, that you don't, well, who's his people? Well, you'll see that museum. You'll go, oh, I'd like to know a bit more about that person. And then you read, you know, the wonderful history. I don't think you can become part of anything's future if you don't know it's past. I think that's true. I'm surprised the v don't do. You know what? They've got some fantastic on. stuff. And yet they it's just all in sealed boxes. The, the museum, of the, the theatre museum, that closed down. That was part of v and in Covent Garden. And they boxed most of that, all the old Harlequin stuff and all the pantomime stuff and Grimaldi stuff. Even, even at the, the Covent Garden, mm. there used to be a lovely bust of Grimaldi. How important that the, that theatre wouldn't be. When John Rich built that theatre in the 1700s and he got Grimaldi, I mean, that's the reason it, you know, it did so well against... You know, the, the Theatre Royal across the road in Drury Lane. Should have squashed it, but it didn't. And then Grimaldi's bus was there. And then when it all got done up, the Grimaldi bus disappeared. I went in there and I asked, I said, what's happened to the Grimaldi bus? Who? What are you talking about? There used to be a bust of a clown. A clown? What, here were an opera house? Oh, you know, what? We do ballet. No, but don't you know? It's frightening. It's a shame because that is part of our national identity. Yeah. I would have thought is comedy and part of our biggest export, I would have thought, mm. is comedy along with music. So I think in the in the arts, we are a nation that would export so much that is, is just enjoyed Absolutely. throughout the world. Absolutely. I, I, when I travel around the world, I'm always surprised. You go to China, I guarantee you that it's sort of like the audience is 60% expats, 20% people passing through, and mm. 20% locals. And the locals are there because they're learning English. And they learn English through listening to comedy, watching sitcoms, because it's such an easy rhythm and an easy beat to understand. And so they get it. They learn their English through comedy. I've had to have Chinese people come up and go, do you know, on the bushes, on the bush, on the buses? Yeah, yeah, no, on the buses. And it's, you know, that they, they love it. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame. It just doesn't get the, yeah, the respect, like you say. I think I'm going to call it a day because... Uh... I've probably got way too much material now to turn into a podcast. Plenty no, to play with, plenty to cut up and edit and create. All right, mate. And uh, I'll, if not, I'll see you on the road. <laughs> you might well do. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe. Next time, I'll be speaking about mental health. So join me and my guest for some further Convo Waffle. TTFN.